So hello everyone and welcome back to our podcast and today I'm delighted to be joined by my very special pal and mystic fortune teller because she totally loves a bit of astronomy. Is it astronomy or astrology? I always get confused. Astrology, you can get astrology thank you. Oh yeah, astronomy is the other one, isn't it? <laughs> I always do that. Um, but we're joined by my lovely wee pal, Lindsay McLagan. So hello, Lindsay. Hello, hello. I'm so honoured to be here, so thank you for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. I am loving, we're just film. we're just doing this after, straight after Halloween, aren't we? So I'm totally loving your Halloween-inspired hoose in the background there. I know, we've still got all the pumpkins, although we're going to have to tell my child that we're going to need to chuck it out. <laughs> oh, no, is that, is that going to be, like, traumatic? Yeah, she's going to want to take up the tree, put the tree up. And I, so I'm going to have to think about how I'm going to do that. So we'll have some moment and time where we have no decorations. Oh, but, yeah. but surely in COVID times, it's literally take down Halloween, put Christmas straight up. Surely that doesn't, it doesn't apply to wait until like first day of Advent or whatever that is. I know. Yeah, it's true. And that probably would be a good distraction, but. It's just so much easier to clean the house when you've not got all the decorations. Oh, I know. I don't think... Do you find, like, in January, when you take it all down again, you suddenly feel like you, your house has been robbed or something? Like, there's like, it feels like you've got nothing left in your house. Like, it feels so bare. Or you suddenly feel like you live in a mansion because you've suddenly got all this extra space. But, um, but anyway, we're diverting. So, Lindsay, tell us a little bit about who you are. So, I, I am from Dundee. I am a proud graduate of Dundee and Angus College, although it was Dundee College at the time. Um, I'm a dance educationalist, although I was a dance artist for a while and, and I've evolved over time and I've realised that my passion is in education and looking at ways that we can sort of advocate dance within educational settings. So I kind of see myself as like a dance activist where I'm going, okay, how can we use dance in lots of different ways um yeah so i and I, i'm a, a mother I, I have a daughter a beautiful 13 year old um and i have many friends uh, that i'm very grateful of who are in the sector who have been friends from my childhood so yeah i'm i'm a i'm a passionate but very um sociable individual very nice. Well, I mean, I love that term, dance. I'm a dance activist. That's, mm. that's great. That's really great. So have you got like, um, have you got like a dance agenda that you're trying to kind of like put out there for people to kind of sign up to you almost? Well, I always knew I was interested uh, with um, working in certain settings, community as well as educational based. Um, but I was always thinking about how I could deliver myself, how I could better my practice, how I could work um, more collegiately with schools or organisations. But th there was a specific year when I was doing my master's and uh, my focus was on the teaching of dance in primary school settings. And I was fortunate enough to be based in a primary school and a secondary mm -hmm. school at the time. So by working in those um educational settings I was I was aware of how dance was seen the, how, how teachers um, perceived dance their expectations of what they thought dance was or their um, 
their sort of challenges and barriers that they experience on an everyday uh, level. And I thought about rather than just working in one school, which I thought was my goal to be GTC registered and be based in one school, I thought about ways in which how could I help support dance and education on a bigger scale. And actually, probably my aim is not to work within one school, but actually try and facilitate discussions and empower teachers to, to sort of delve a little bit deeper and think about how they can really use and utilize dance within the curriculum. So I kind of find myself being a little bit more leaning towards a dance activist rather than a dance artist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess, I guess it would be kind of helpful to share how we know each other. So yeah, yeah. how did we meet Lindsay McLagan? So as mentioned before, I was a student at The Space, Scottish School of Contemporary Dance at Dundee College. And you um, came along and you choreographed on us. Um, I know that you had Alan McIntyre in the podcast previously, but Alan and I were friends at college and you came along and you choreographed on us. And I um, I just love being pushed. You, I always remember you really pushing us beyond our physical sort of boundaries that like we would have to go further and you were, you were explosive you were wanting us to go in and out of the floor and I remember being sort of um, inspired by that and gravitating towards your energy and your, your creative player. Oh god I think that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably not worth repeating what you normally say to me but um, but I really appreciate that Lindsay McLagan thank you very much because when was that what year was that? I think it was 2000 and it was early 2000s. I'm sure it must yeah, be. I, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that would totally go with my, with, my, with my thinking there on that one. When I think about being at college and when I started, I mean, I think I was only I think I was 15 when I first started and I was wow. 16 in October. So yeah. I remember kind of being uh, a lot younger than the people I was training with and the other students were. I felt like I had this extra knowledge or life experience that I hadn't had. So I was just taking everything in and I was just trying to make everything fun and playful as much as, uh, as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah, because I think you just turned 18 when we did that. Pe well, that would probably be right, wouldn't it? Because that was the end of your training. Yeah. So you would have just turned 18, yeah. So, yeah, but, oh, lovely. Oh, those were the days, those were the days. I still remember that piece as well because I think you were all wearing, like, red dresses and like black wigs i know although you did convince me never to cut my hair into a blood bulb or <laughs> dye my hair black uh, <laughs> well, um, <laughs> oh yeah that's where the the, the, the wig <laughs> serving choreography and hair advice since 2000 <laughs> can't even remember who it was one of the other dancers turned out oh you don't suit that and i was like thanks <laughs> Brutal. Okay, well, let's get into then the first of our questions then. So each podcast, we ask our esteemed guests to describe to us three moments that are significant to them or three memories that they want to kind of share uh, with, our, with our audiences. So I wonder if you could talk us through your first memory or significant moment then, please, Lindsay. Yes, I will. I, I, I kind of, I'm trying to think right now, but I think it kind of was a build, I mean, it's a blur. I mean, I was so young, a long, long time ago. Um, but one of my first memories of dance was actually a film that was made in the late 60s. I think it was called Finney and Rainbow. 
uh, where one of the characters, Susan, communicates solely through dance, and I just wanted to be her. She was my idol for a while until I really found out about Dolly Parton but I think for me I was a really shy kid and I hated talking or answering any questions in front of the class so I was that child that the teacher would ask the question and would select me and my face would go bright red. I would be too busy panicking rather than thinking what the answer was so I, I, I remember relating to this character and going, I just love the fact that she uses dance to communicate. Um, and I, I was involved in dance. I, did, I experienced Highland dancing from a young age. It's one of my cousins, Rachel McLagan, who I'm super proud of, is a phenomenal Highland dancer and she's founder of flings and things. But it just wasn't personally a style that I loved. I know I enjoyed dance. And it wasn't until the moment I was at high school and it wasn't... Um, the, the, the dance classes that I was doing wasn't embedded in the curriculum uh, like it is nowadays, but we had an amazing PE teacher called Linda McGregor and she delivered a dance module as part of core PE. And she had arranged for a workshop to happen with Scottish Dance Theatre. And I obviously never knew about Scottish Dance Theatre. I came from a small town in Blaygowry where I hardly ever really went to Dundee. So it was Errol White one of the dancers at the time, Scottish Dancer, came to Blaygowry High School and did a contemporary dance workshop. And this is where I fell in love with contemporary. And I was only 12 and I goes, wow, I love this style of dance. Um, so I knew I was interested in dance. I think it just I had to take a certain amount of time and, and for me to explore dance, for me to really fall in love with it. So I was encouraged to take part in contemporary dance, but the only contemporary dance classes for me to attend was actually in Dundee it did help with Emma Preston oh, yeah. who in the end encouraged me to sort of apply to Dundee Angus College so that was kind of my significant moment with um, the film and me knowing that I love dance but it wasn't until I had that workshop with Errol White that I really found contemporary. I mean it's amazing isn't it like you because you, you're talking about that that time, like obviously Scottish Dance Theatre are, are an incredible company. Yeah. And looking back at their kind of, you know, because they, they've been going for like, you know, a good number of years. Is it like 25 years? I think they celebrated a couple of, a couple of years ago, was that? Um, but, you know, thinking back to those days that you're talking about there with Errol, because I really remember that as well about um, seeing Errol on stage. And now obviously Errol runs um, his, his own company now with, um, with Davina Giving. Um, but it's really interesting kind of looking at, um, or thinking about that time, because I, I just remember thinking they were just like, unstoppable that moment in time like there were such extraordinary dancers and um, who are now all off doing amazing incredible things but I can just imagine what that workshop must have been like because that was just so, there was such a the, yeah full of energy and yeah it was just dead exciting well I went to the, the I, after that workshop it, it was obviously to encourage us to go and see their upcoming performance mm -hmm. and I remember dragging my mum who I hadn't a clue what she'd got herself into, to be honest. And I remember sitting next to her, being really embarrassed because she'd just cleaned the house and she'd used bleach so everyone could just smell bleach coming from her hands. I was mortified. Um, but I saw Davina, who is now Earl's uh, wife, was um, doing a solo in a green dress. And I, that just, that is still imprinted in my mind. And I've seen the evolution of all the dancers of Scottish Dance Theatre. And they've had the, the dancers that have come and go, the, the transitions that they went through, the changes. So yeah, Scottish Dance Theatre is close to my heart. Yeah. Oh, that's gorgeous. So let's move, and, and very rooted in Dundee. So let's move into your second significant moment or your second memory. What, 
that would have been. So th this was this is really hard because I, I guess there are so many, but I'm going to sound like this is a bit of a, a negative, but it's not. Um, one of the biggest memories for me was my final show as a student at Dundee Angus College and I went through the training and, and as mentioned earlier I was young but I remember that last performance and sort of we, we finished and it was a round of applause and I just couldn't stop crying. Mm -hmm. I remember feeling like what now because I was coming to a point where I didn't actually enjoy performing it wasn't something that I wanted to do. I didn't want to be a professional performer and it was, I didn't have the ability to articulate that or, or come to that realization. And I think there's this thing when graduates do transition into the real world, there's not that support and they're not, they're not aware of the expectation of having a routine every day, training all day, every day to kind of being let out into the abyss. Um, and I wish there was some sort of more of a support or some sort of transition for me before that moment because I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And it was actually Peter Royston, Cindy Monson and Catherine Cassidy at the time who were asking me questions and they were kind of perplexed. I didn't want to go on and, and further say, explore the world of performing. Um, they saved my sort of... Uh, sanity should you say because they they organized for me to do a year apprenticeship where I shadowed because I, I said I actually want to go back to how I started dancing and it was being involved in all the community projects it was just a way of um, it was more about the well-being and the community aspect um so yeah I, I got to have this glorious year um my, I think my golden ticket where I got to shadow and observe and have really in-depth discussions with all of these artists and teachers and community practitioners about their teaching and why they do what they do um, and observe beautiful sessions like to the point where if I had just been let out and I had to figure out how to teach or how to to be a teaching artist myself I think I probably wouldn't be the person I am today without that year uh, I mean, I got to shadow teachers at Scottish Dance Year. I, I was literally a fly in the wall in all of these sessions. So yeah, I feel like that moment where I really didn't know what I was going to do was a bit of a shock to the system. And it gives me empathy for the graduates who do sort of go through this training and are not really sure of what they want to do. Um, they kind of need that lifeline. They need that support from organisations and professionals to kind of help them with that transition um, or help them earlier in their training so that it's not such a big or it's, it's not as overwhelming when they do graduate. You know, it, it's really interesting you're kind of talking about that because I, I then maybe had that like early 2000s, you had that like mid 2000s, but I speak to new graduates now and they still feel that same way. So it's like nothing's really changed in that 20 years. Well, I mean, lots of things have changed because there's lots more apprenticeships and uh, postgraduate opportunities and all that, but it does, it does feel like it's terrifying being a student and being in that space. I think it's, it's okay to lean into it. And I think I was obviously very young and, and didn't, know what that was but it was it, I felt like there was a void in the, in the first couple of months before I really found my uh, love of teaching and being like yeah this is definitely I'm I'm, I'm glad I could I, I listened to what I was feeling when I was performing because I, I knew I wasn't in love with that but 
that's okay because that moment where you have this void it's because you're searching for something that will will fulfill you and I wouldn't have done that if I really if I didn't listen so you kind of you need to listen to what you, you kind of fully want and feel whether you know what it is or not that the, what you want but that's brilliant as well that actually you find that opportunity then to because actually that has really set you up like you know thinking of what you've actually done in your career um, to this point so do you want to do you want to give us like a whistle stop of your career of what you what you've done and where you've been and where you are now yeah um so i i, I always feel like i do um i i am the essence of that image where people talk about creativity not being a straight line mm. and it's just yeah random pathway all the way to the the point where they are at yeah. i feel that i i am i, I encompass all of that image <laughs> um, because I went backwards, I went sideways, I went forwards, a couple of steps to then go back. The apprenticeship really set me up to look at different ways of delivering and teaching and learning was the main focus for that apprenticeship. Um, I wanted to teach in lots of different settings. I was that person that wanted to do it all, but I had to realize I couldn't do it all at the same time. So I initially started delivering sessions with Catherine Cassidy, who was my mentor and still is my mentor to this day. Um, we delivered parent and child sessions. I delivered um, from zero all the way right through to um, your adult classes that, were ha that was happening at the time at Dundee College. Um, I obviously went through a lot of training. She would help me with lots of opportunities with, um, she introduced me to Jabba Dale mm. Penny Greenland and I, I started to look at okay what is what is pedagogy what is dance pedagogy and I really looked at that um, from many perspectives because being in the building from a, a, a participant doing community classes to a student on the course to an apprenticeship to then actually delivering community sessions what i felt that I started doing was really listen to conversations about some of the students that were on the course at that time and I had a lot of empathy for them because I knew what it was like starting a course really young and not having that much life experience so sometimes that transition from school to full-time education there needed to be an additional year of support and they did have an introduction to dance course mm -hmm. um, and Lisa Bibby was uh, the main uh, lecturer delivering on that course and she had retained it covered. So because I was already interested in part of these conversations, I actually uh, covered her maternity leave and started to, to deliver on the course. So as well as working in the community, I was, I was delivering on the uh, contemporary dance course under Peter Royston. I, predominantly working with the introduction to dance students who were very young students who were transitioning into full-time. So that course was only part-time, um, I think two and a half to three days a week. And I fell in love with that level. We're either transitioning from being young uh, dance participants into uh, a mature student. So we uh, explored lots of different things. And while I was a uh, teaching I put myself through a lot of qualifications um, I explored lots of different things I thought to better my teaching I wanted to make sure I had the knowledge and understanding to help develop them as dancers as individuals uh, within the community but also as a 
choreographers if they were to choose that pathway in the future. So I would, I was that, I'm a learning junkie anyway, but I was that individual who would be signing myself up for Pilates, for a <laughs> diploma in exercise, exercise physiology. I kind of became really invested in my learning and my development as I was teaching others. Um, and I really believed in teach everything that you know, so that the students who do leave, they come back even better than you. So I was almost teaching as I was learning as well um, on everything. Even when I figured out who Brene Brown was, um, who I love and all of these people that were coming into my life um, or these, uh, these motivational speakers, should I say, I was learning, but I was also trying to embed that within my, my sessions and the groups that I was working with. I then thought about ways in which I could further support the transition into full-time education. And at that time, dance in schools was booming. So SQA dance was really sort of taken off in secondary schools. So I thought I actually need to go step beyond that, beyond the introduction to dance course, and I need to start working with schools. So I was a dance development officer up in Aberdeen. So I, I, it was my first role as a dance development officer. Um, and I wanted to really sort of support schools and the ways in which we can bring dance into schools. And after that, I moved and had got a position in a, in a secondary school delivering SQB dance and in a primary school delivering dance within the curriculum. And that was at the same time that I was doing my master's. So I found myself really exploring it from each individual or each educational setting and each individual role that I had, I felt was crucial and I couldn't narrow down to what I wanted to do, whether I wanted to put my hat or like take my hat off for all the other roles and become just a secondary dance teacher or just a primary dance teacher. And, and as I said earlier on, I, I felt that it wasn't really a, a one choice. It was, a, it was a more a case of, I need to go beyond delivering and I need to be part of the conversations, a, 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 a bigger, a sort of more broad uh, understanding of creativity in schools and dance in schools and things that would influence the structure of the curriculum rather than just the delivery of a dance session. And that's where I ended up at Y Dance. Uh, education and I love my role because I get to do so much and I kind of feel like I'm so lucky in a way because everything that I've experienced over my career I'm able to put into practice now within this role. How long have you been at White Dancing? Just over two years um, my, my first experience of Project Y was the year that uh, you were invited as a, as a choreographer. Oh. Uh, yeah, that was my first experience of Project Y and I have so much um, love for that project because I, I, I got to see it in a way that really looked at talent development in, a, in an environment that was not just enthusiastic but was realistic to what they might actually experience when they, when they graduate. 
yeah. um, working with different choreographers, working with different personalities, having that intensive like uh, session or full day rehearsals and moving through different um, performance spaces and the different size and lighting and um, even just the different texture of the floor that they'll be dancing in. All of these things come into uh, play and, and, I, and I, I think it was a real learning curve, not just for the dancers, but for me to witness and, and obviously coordinate, I just thought, wow, I never really got to see it from the inside. I always knew of Project Y, but yeah. until you're in it and you're doing it and you're seeing it and you're seeing the, the life learning skills that they're getting, I, I, yeah, I just have so much admiration for that yeah. project. You know, it's so funny because like back when, when, I, when I first started out, because I came to dance quite late, but um, one of the very first things I did actually, just before I started training, was I went to back when Y Dance was Scottish Youth Dance Festival um, and ran that every, every summer in Scotland um, for a number of years. Um, I went to two of them, but the very first one I went to was in Dumfries and Galloway with my friends. And honestly, it was like... It was like going on this like amazing holiday with all my pals because uh, it was like f I think four or five of us I think that went and we were just a very small like youth group basically that we set up ourselves um, and went along to that event and it was it was like literally life changing because I met all these people in dance I mean and like so many of them now like I still you know see or are performing like you know Anthony and Kevin from Company Chameleon you know I remember meeting them back at that um, there were just so so many people Jennifer Patterson who runs All or Nothing um, Ariel um, you know met her there and it's just it's fascinating to kind of think of that legacy of why dance you know um, kind of started being rooted in that and then kind of to what it's kind of evolved to to now but in in lots of ways I kind of I feel like Project Y kind of sums up that experience that I felt like back at you know run at that festival about the excitement of working with choreographers of meeting new people of getting that opportunity to perform you know still feels really like it's there so so I think I've always felt that when um, I've come along to Project Y and kind of made a piece is I still feel that energy and that excitement and think oh it takes me back to when I was a young person and that and that feeling like of what they must have so yeah it's great it's great that you, that you still run that project um, okay, moving on then, on to your third and final significant memory. What, what is that? Um, this one is a little bit more personal because the other ones have been really rooted to my, my involvement in the dance sector. But um, the biggest memory for me and most men will always share is when I had my daughter. Mm. So I'm a single parent, but I, I had my, my, my daughter really young when I sort of think about it. <laughs> um, but I would change the world and, and that really had to um, shift my pers 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 perspective of everything, but also how I um, would engage within the sector because I was caring for a toddler, so there were lots of times where you, you're expected to go to lots of shows or sharings, um, and I thought, oh, I'm either never going to get to go because I'll be at home uh, with, with my daughter, or I just take her along with me. Yeah. So I took her along with me everywhere, um, and she is, we are like two peas in a pod. She is my mini-me, um, which I don't know, I think she'll love in the future, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she she is definitely me um but what was really great about that and 
I started to look at these dance performances, these events, these sharings, um, even just class or workshops from a different perspective because I was looking at it through my daughter's eyes. Yeah. And it's fine to have a conversation all the time with your peers and your um, colleagues. But when you start to talk to a four-year-old about what they've just watched and they are so honest, yeah. you go, oh, yeah, actually, they have got the confidence to say something that we would never probably say out loud. Yeah. Um, and I started to really um, appreciate with every fibre of my being my daughter and how she helped me sort of look at the world. And I mean, when you say that your daughter is a mini-me of you, then it absolutely is. But I mean, also, Gracie is like, you know, she's like an extraordinary young person. Like, she's just, you know, I, I think you've done such an amazing kind of role as a mum with, you know, it's been a role of a lifetime, Lindsay McLaggan. <laughs> She's confident, she's warm, she's kind, like, but she's also super clever, like super clever um, and dead funny. Like, you know, I kind of forget that she's actually like the age she is. Like I actually, some I forget that and sometimes think that she's another kind of adult in a room, you know, because you can actually have like um, a, a, a great conversation with her, you know, it's, it's great. And I mean, that is a real testament to, to you. Oh, and, and, and I would love to take the credit. I've said, I think I've said this before, but I honestly have so much appreciation for both my family and friends in my life because I say I was single, but I've said it a couple of times, but actually I had a, such a good and strong and stable support system around me. I mean, even um, I've had friends that have let Alan's come live lived with me. Um, you've obviously been a big part of her life. Most of my friends and my family have helped with that. And she is just the essence of everyone that's ever been involved in her life. So she's taken off all the strengths. Um, and I, I feel like, I really looked at what I needed as a child and, and I love my parents and I love everyone that's ever been part of my upbringing. But I thought, what could I do to make her even more confident? Or what is it that I needed at that time? And I am constantly learning because I think all parents are winging it. Let's just be honest. Um, but I bring in so much of what I'm doing with a, as a parent into my, my, my work and what I'm doing at work into how I parent. So I just feel like there's this balance. I mean, especially because I'm working um, in education and I'm looking at all the different things with growth mindset and you're looking at emotional agility and intelligence. I just feel like conversations I have with Gracie help me understand my participants. Yeah, yeah. Well, talking about agility, <laughs> I'm going to move us on um, into our round of quick fire questions. So are you ready, Lindsay? So this is... This or that? And you're not allowed to give us any explanation. You don't need to justify. We just get to quietly judge you um, based on your decisions that you're going to make here, okay? So it's just one word answers. We're going to have 60 seconds on the clock. Questions start now. Madonna or Kylie? Kylie. What? Um, <laughs> Coke or lemonade? Coke. Prosecco or champagne? Prosecco. Blackpool or Skegness? Skegness. 
Ice cream or pizza? Ice cream. Staying in or going out? Staying in. Dance music or pop music? Pop music. Lady Gaga or Ariana Grande? Lady Gaga. Phone call or text? Phone call. Coffee or tea? Ugh. Yeah, can I just get that one? <laughs> breakfast or no breakfast? Uh, breakfast. McDonald's or KFC? Oh, KFC. Simpsons or Family Guy? Simpsons. Singing or dancing? Dancing. 80s or 90s? 80s. Summer or winter? Summer. And last question, Dairy Milk or Galaxy? Dairy Milk. Woo! All the way. Oh, I mean, that is quite revealing. Some of those questions are very revealing, Lindsay McLaggen. Uh, <laughs> hello, Queen Madonna, hello. Listen, we have had this argument for a decade. And it's an argument that you're always wrong about. It's, it's fascinating. <laughs> you, haven't, you still haven't realised. No, no, no. Kylie all the way. I was that, I used to have the VHS albums of Kylie and my mum used to make me, or, or figure a way of getting me to wash my hair in the bath by pretending that the device that she'd put on my head was the same as Kylie's cover. <laughs> <laughs> it looked like I had a frisbee on my head. <laughs> Okay, we're going to move on to our two final questions then today for you, Lindsay. So, first, and they're both linked, but first one is, I want you to think back to 14-year-old Lindsay McLaggen. What advice would you give to 14-year-old Lindsay McLaggen? Hmm. I would say, you only know what you know. Uh, I just feel like I would need to tell myself that there's so much you've got to learn, and you need to start ha asking questions. So have the confidence to be vulnerable. You don't need to put pressure on yourself to be original or to stand out, or for my case, it was to blend in. You'll be, like, you'll be influenced by every experience and every person you'll meet throughout life. So be assertive and choose your wolf pack wisely. Oh, very nice, very nice. That's some, that's some sage advice from Lindsay McLaggen. <laughs> um, and now we're gonna, we're gonna fast forward to 90-year-old Lindsay McLaggen. What advice <laughs> do you want to give to 90-year-old Lindsay McLaggen? Well, first off, I'd say, girl, we made it to 90. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> no, seriously, I'd probably say something like, have no regrets, don't dwell on the past or what could have been, you were enough, you made the right choices at the time, and you did everything with passion, integrity, and a good shade of lipstick. <laughs> well, I was pure welling up there when you said um, you were enough. Like that got me pure welling up, and then actually you started. You made me laugh with your shade of lipstick. So, uh, so that's good. You pulled me out of my out of my, my sad space. It's hard because you always think I haven't made the right decision all the time, and yeah, I think I know that sometimes I'll look back, even in the last ten years, and go. Mm, was that the right call? So, I mean, if, I'm, if I live to 90, I'll definitely be thinking that, but I don't want myself to sort of regret, have the regrets, because actually, if I think about each stage, I've loved every minute. So, yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. And what a beautiful way to end our conversation. I feel like the only thing we didn't get to share with everyone was your love for star signs that I kind of indicated <laughs> at the very beginning. Um, yeah. So, you know, um, I mean, well, maybe you have to save that for another, another, another time. But yeah, I think, Lindsay, you've got a second career as an astrologer if you ever, if you ever decided to go down that path of uh, dance astrology or something, maybe. Yeah, I've always been looking out for Mystic Meg's um, job descriptor in uh, <laughs> Job Scotland. <laughs> it's not come up yet. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Lindsay. Um, and it's, it's been an absolute um, pleasure listening to everything that you've shared with us today. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. That was fun.
<laughs> well, I'll see you on the dance floor soon, even if it is just a virtual dance floor, since we're still not allowed to meet properly. Um, but we'll see you with your Kylie, see if you can get that off your mum, uh, and see if you get that Kylie hat on. Um, and we'll, we'll see you there. I will. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Thanks very much, Lindsay. Thanks very much, everyone, for listening to our podcast this week, and we'll see you for the next one. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.